Are you listening to this show hoping to get some golden nuggets to help you on your way to recovery? Well, great. I hope that you find them because that is exactly what this show is for. But if you really want to take your recovery all the way, completely commit and get on track with your goals, whether they be finally feeling overall healthy, finally getting pregnant, or finally getting back to training, you'll want to join us inside of the HA Society. Not only is this the perfect community to ask questions and get your support and the accountability that you so often need during these uphill battles with body image and understanding nutrition and incorporating exercise, but it's also a hub of exclusive resources for HAers. All of the HA podcast episodes are released in advance and completely ad-free, so you can listen on the go to the raw, unedited versions, uninterrupted. All of the one-on-one coaching calls, of which we have two a week in different time zones, are uploaded to our private podcast feed so that you can listen to events with practitioners and the past community calls as though they were bonus podcast episodes, because I know how much you love to listen to this kind of stuff. And in these calls, we cover requested topics like overcoming the weight gain fears, communicating with friends and family about our HA, diving into how HA works, and debunking the imposter syndrome that so many of us have around this diagnosis. There's also an entire resources section with lectures, workshops, and training from the past events that are hosted by experts like Sarah Liz King, Laura Lyons, Kaylee McDevitt, Holly Dunn, and many more. As a member, you also get direct access to myself and Coach Ashley in the DMs. So if you have personal questions or need individualized advice about your recovery, we're in there answering your questions in the DMs, as are all of our other members in the group who impress me week after week with how they show up for each other. It's incredible. It's like women are just all becoming mini coaches for each other. It's so good. The HA Society is really the place to be if you're going through recovery, no matter what stage you're at. Whether you have HA or you've got a few recovery periods, we have your back and we're all your new best friends. So come and meet us at thehasociety.com forward slash join. That's thehasociety.com forward slash join and the link is in the show notes for you okay on with the show hey and welcome to the ha podcast i'm danny sheriff the host of this podcast the founder of the ha society and an ha recovery coach who has walked wherever you currently are This is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. I would love it if you could rate and review this podcast, five stars only, to help make this podcast easier for other women with HA to find it. And last thing, nothing from this show should be taken as medical advice. Please seek the advice of your physician. The concept of getting your period back is easy, but why is making the commitment so hard? Why does it take so long to get to a point where you're confident enough in the process to go for it? Well, for a lot of reasons, and breaking down those reasons that hold us back is one of my main missions. And that is why I created the 7-Day HA Recovery Commitment Challenge. It's a completely free challenge that is 100% 
inside of email. So you can start your seven days today. You don't have to wait for the beginning of this challenge. And each day I send you a new challenge complete with action items and mindset shifts to help you work through all of the key issues I see that hold us back from recovery. So topics inside of the email challenge include understanding why your period is missing, how to build solid, healthy, caloric, dense meals to ensure that you're getting the nutrition that you need, how to get your support network on board with you, not just letting your friends and family and partner know like what's happening, but actually enrolling them in to help you. Lifestyle factors that could be impacting your ability to recover. And of course, the mindset factors and shifts that you need to make along the way. The goal of this challenge is that after seven days, you'll be feeling knowledgeable, equipped, and inspired to do what you really know that you need to do to get your period back. So are you ready? Go to 7daychallenge.hapodcast.com or head to the show notes for the link. That's 7daychallenge.hapodcast.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the show, my channel. If you're watching on YouTube, hello. If you're listening on the podcast, hello. Today we're talking about pregnancy NHA. I just had my baby 11 days ago. She's 11 days old and I wanted to go through with you guys my journey to getting pregnant, which I have talked about quite a bit, but I know it's an important subject for a lot of you guys. And I'm going to answer a few couple of questions that I've had about dealing with body image issues during pregnancy. And I'm also going to share with you my birth story because it's kind of insane. My story is already available. It's episode like one of this podcast. You can also watch the YouTube video. I go through the facts of my HA and my recovery in detail, but in a nutshell, I had HA for about eight years. <laughs> I'm actually, that, that number changes all the time when I, uh, cause I'm not really quite sure because it's one of those things that you don't really always know the day it happened but I didn't have it for years and years. And I discovered I had it. I wanted to get my period back. I was really motivated because I thought I was being healthy. Like I already thought I was on this journey to health and being the best possible version of myself. And honestly thinking that I was great and probably healthier than other people. When the reality was, oh, not having a period, hypothalamic amenorrhea is really quite bad for you. The evidence shows it is linked to osteoporosis. They're seeing links with your brain. They're seeing links with heart health. These things freaked me out. You know, I've always knew you couldn't get pregnant without a period, but realizing that uh, that's something I wanted to be able to do and I didn't want to be in a position that I was ready to have a baby and I couldn't have a baby. So I wanted to get on top of it for when I was ready to conceive. So I just could conceive. It wasn't that simple. So I did recover. I got my period back. Happy days. I had a few, they weren't optimal, right? They, I wasn't ovulating at first. 
then my luteal phase wasn't long enough. And I talk about, I'll link to that video as well. I talk about how I solved my short luteal phase, which was the conundrum here for pregnancy for me. So eventually I had myself ovulating and that was really important. It's so important that you don't just get your period back, but you actually ovulate. And it's so important that your follicular phase and your luteal phase, which are the phases before and after ovulation, that they're optimized. And a lot of us skip this point and then we still struggle to get pregnant. So I had been recovered for quite a while, at least I was ovulating and I was having some long enough luteal phases, which the number of days after ovulation and before you bleed, I was having some that were okay, some that were way too short. I was having cycles that were like six day luteal phases, six to eight days. I will link below to a video where I talk about how I solved my short luteal phase. So if you're, if that period of time is too short, it's not physically possible for you to get pregnant. Your corpus luteum is disintegrating too soon. So I had to set about solving that and we were off to the races, right? I was seeing improvements by making small lifestyle changes to my how I live my life and my nutrition, my caffeine intake, those kinds of things, my exercise frequency most definitely. And I was seeing improvements where I went from six days to seven days to eight days to 10 days. And 10 is on the borderline. Okay. When I work with clients to get their period back and get pregnant, I want to say like nine times out of 10, their luteal phase is too short and they're dealing with the exact same problem as I did. It's so common. And majority of the time we have been able to get someone pregnant when their most previous luteal phase was like 10 days. So when you actually get pregnant, you don't know how long that luteal phase would have been, but I've seen a lot of times we can go from 10 days in your previous cycle to pregnant in the next cycle. I can tell you that. And that's what happened to me. So got pregnant, was really confident that this would stick from the beginning. Very frequently when I see my clients or HA society members get pregnant, they're anxious. They're anxious that the pregnancy is not going to stick, that there's going to be some miscarriage or some kind of complication because a, you know, they've been so unlucky with their fertility thus far. They've been trying for so long or they feel like, you know, maybe HA is going to mean that they're going to be less likely to have a successful pregnancy. They're not as fertile as other people are or something like that. But I can tell you that there's no evidence to show that having HA impacts on the success of your pregnancy once you do become pregnant. You have at that point had a full period, you've had a healthy cycle, you've managed to get pregnant, so you don't have HA in that moment and your HA is not going to affect your pregnancy. If something happens to your pregnancy, it's not because you had HA. It's going to have, it's going to be for different reasons. So I was confident that once I was healthy and functioning and had had a number of cycles for quite a while, that I was going to have a successful pregnancy. So I was happy to share the news really early on. And that's also just my personality. I'm not so good at secrets. So don't tell me any of your secrets. A common question that I get is, 
what, how do you eat? What supplements do you take for pregnancy? I just took, I continue taking my desiccated beef liver and I took a really good prenatal garden of life. Highly recommend that one. And I just focused on eating the best I could. And I'm going to share a little bit about eating during pregnancy, because obviously that's something that's, you know, food eating is huge in this community. Honestly, I just did the best I could. And I really took an HA recovery mindset. Now for me, recovery mindset is not making a big deal about your food, eating, eating to satiety, eating in abundance, not ever skipping meals, being conscious of your stimulant intake and being totally reasonable with what you eat. So I didn't eat a ton of processed stuff, but I will say I had croissants like two to three times a week because that's what I wanted. And it's totally fine to eat those things. Even if you're pregnant, your body knows what to do as long as you're supplementing it with or supplementing, as long as you're mainly focusing the vast majority, the bulk of your meals around whole and nutritious foods, you're going to have a good time. So I totally had croissants. I totally had sweet treats, but I had a main focus on eating whole nutritious food. But I will say I didn't eat a metric shit ton of vegetables by any means. I just didn't feel like it. I had proteins. I had vegetables at most meals, maybe one or two of them, but I didn't, you know, force myself to eat some kind of perfect pregnancy diet. I just understood the fundamentals. I'm sure many of you listening come from a background of being a dietitian. There's definitely nutritionists listening. There's health coaches, and there's also just people who are really interested in nutrition listening, right? Like if you tracked macros, if you track calories, if you were into clean eating, whatever your thing was, it means that you come with a basic understanding at least of what is generally good for you. And using that knowledge, I was able to make sure I was hitting the fundamentals. I was eating carbs, protein, and fat. I was getting vegetables in. I was getting animal products in because that's something that I eat. And I was doing the best I could without overthinking it, without adding all of these, I should do this, I shouldn't do that stuff into my diet. And I'll just tell you right now, I had a totally healthy baby girl, all her fingers and toes there. She passed every single test. She's an absolute rock star. And I did not need to go crazy with eating in a certain way for my pregnancy. So my pregnancy went really, really smoothly. Anyone who has worked with me or knows me and we were talking about it, I said every single time, this pregnancy is going to be so straightforward. It's going to be so boring. Like I'm not going to have any issues with it. This is just because of, this is what I'm used to, right? I've always had a really normal, basic, boring medical history. There's not a whole lot going on in my family. I don't have any history of anything other than HA. I've never been in hospital. I don't know if I've really been to hospital even to visit people very much. Like there's nothing interesting about my medical history. And that made me feel as though my pregnancy was going to go really smoothly. And it did. Okay. The first 
eight and a half months of my pregnancy, eight and three quarters of a month of my pregnancy was completely uneventful. She measured to the exact week she and I, she and I passed every single test because you do a lot of tests when you're pregnant and we were just cruising. My blood pressure was always great. All of my levels were great. Happy days. So that's my pregnancy. But when I was 40 weeks and three days or four days, 40 weeks and four days, which is when most first time moms go into labor is on that day. I tested positive for COVID-19 and I couldn't believe it. It's like, this does not fit the narrative I have in my head of how uneventful this pregnancy is supposed to be. I couldn't, I just like, when the doctor said that your test is positive and so is your husband's, I just, I, I disappeared from the conversation. Like my husband had to take over the conversation and I was just like staring at the wall (laughs) in silence. I was like, I could go into labor now because I was feeling sick. So I guess I should rewind and tell you I was feeling sick. I thought I just had like some pregnancy symptoms because my husband wasn't really sick. I thought I, I was just developing really bad sinus because um, I had had more like mucus buildup and just allergy type symptoms my whole pregnancy, which is not like me. So I just had these, always had these like annoying sort of nasal symptoms, but it was never a big deal. And in, in the final hour, it started to get worse. And I decided to, to go um, to talk to my doctor and see what I could do for this like cough that I was developing and this sinus that I had in the last week of pregnancy because I really wanted to feel good for going into labor. So she had recommended a few things that I could try. One of them being eucalyptus. She's like, put some eucalyptus in a diffuser and use your humidifier and hopefully it will help clear up some of that sinus. I happened to have some eucalyptus essential oils, went to go put it in, took a sniff because I feel like that's, you just automatically do that. You just take the lid off and you have a sniff. And I was like, oh, this bottle's empty. And then I thought, even if the bottle was empty, you'd think it would still smell like eucalyptus. And then it, like, that was the moment that I was like, oh, I see. I can't smell anything. I went to every scented candle in the house, couldn't smell it opened up a bottle of whiskey that we have downstairs, put my nose into the bottle, took the biggest whiff I could, nothing. And I was just like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. I probably have COVID. So my husband and I went and got a test and that's how that happened. And I just, I knew this was a problem because I was gonna have my birth at a birth center, which is not basically, it's kind of this nice in-between of like a home birth, but with a bunch of midwives at a special facility <laughs> where the rooms are really homey and it's very mum centered care. It's not just baby centered. Whereas when you go to the hospital, you know, like the baby is the priority and the mum is like, we're just going to do whatever we need to do to you to get this baby out. Of course, not always. It's not everyone's experience, but that was the impression I had gotten. And I was really excited to give birth at a baby at a birth center and have a natural birth, which is you can't have epidurals and most of the drugs are unavailable at birth centers. So that was my plan and it was going to be great. And we were going to have this birth in this nice facility. And truthfully, that's all I had ever planned. I knew you couldn't plan a whole lot about your 
um, your birth experience. You could try and plan a tub, like a water birth, and you might get in and realize this is the last thing you want to do and get me out of this tub. So I didn't bother with that, didn't bother with music playlists, didn't care about any of those things. But I did want to give birth at this birth center because I don't like hospitals. Not interested, never want to be admitted to a hospital, always hope I'll go as long as possible in my life without ever having to have a hospital visit or stay. That was just, that's what I wanted. And now I had COVID and I was 40 and four weeks. So I was probably going to not be able to have a birth center birth because they're not going to take you if you have COVID. You're not going to be able to enter the facility, nor is your husband. So I started to process that and we were making phone calls and figuring things out. And the birth center said, if you can hold off going into labor, which obviously like as in if the baby can decide to wait as long as possible and you make it till the following Wednesday. And at this point it's Tuesday and they want me to make it to the following Wednesday. I will be eligible to come back to the birth center and have a baby there. If I go into labor prior, I'll have to go to hospital. And that was really lame and it ended up being you know, a really hard week. That's a long time to wait, not knowing if at any second now you're going to go into labor because you're overdue at this point. Like I found out I had COVID went like four days overdue and this little baby <laughs> decided to come at 41 weeks and three days, which is 10 days post-symptoms, which was the day before oh, I fell, which was the day before I was eligible to get back to the birth center. I had I had been having some contractions. I thought I wasn't sure. I'd never had a baby before. I was having some contractions that um, uh, went on August 2nd in the evening, but they were really light. I wasn't sure if I was just feeling like some cramps of some kind and my lower back. Woke up a few times in the night to them. They were getting a bit stronger, but I went back to sleep a few times. And at 4.45 a.m. in the morning, they were really strong and it was time to get out of bed. So... I went into the lounge room because I thought oh, I'm just going to have like a peaceful morning in the lounge room. Maybe I'll have some coffee and just sort of like sit through these light contractions and I went to the bathroom and I had bloody show. So there was like blood in the toilet and I knew that that was a sign that labor was probably going to happen. And often if you see bloody show, you have a bit of time and maybe I think maybe you won't you don't necessarily even have the baby that day because um, my water hadn't broken, but I knew I was so overdue that this was probably happening now. So I went to get my husband and I thought my water had broken because I had clear liquid running down my leg, but eventually the nurses said that that's well, my water had not broken. So don't know what that was about, but I went and got my husband. I was like, it's time to go. By 5.45 a.m., we were pulling up to the ER. They had been given a heads up we were coming because I'm COVID positive. And sadly, my husband had to drop me off at the um, hospital in the ER. I had to walk in by myself with all my luggage and shit. And I had a mad contraction right there in the ER. And I said to them, Hi, my name is Danielle Sheriff. Labor and delivery is expecting me. I'm coming in through ER because... It was like outside of regular operating hours. So you always go in to the ER at that time. And 
I'm COVID positive. And they, he was just like a deer in headlights. He was like, you're what? <laughs> like he's, I felt like there had just never been, no one had ever come into the ER at the hospital before. It was ridiculous. And then definitely no one had ever had COVID. I don't know. He just didn't know what to do. It was a whole thing. I had a really strong contraction that I couldn't really talk through. Um, and I had to like fill out paperwork and that was stupid, but it was exactly what I was expecting. It's why I didn't want to go to the hospital because I knew it was just going to be like, even though I was pre-registered for the hospital, just in case it was going to be paperwork and shit while I was having in labor. So I leave my husband outside and I go by myself in a wheelchair with this nurse to my room and he leaves me there. And he's like, someone will come soon. And I have really painful contractions all by myself. First time mom in this hospital room that I do not want to be in. And the pain was pretty bad. It was in my back. It turned out I was having back labor, which sucks. Um, so having a natural birth with back labor is less fun than a regular natural birth. So I, at the time was coming to terms with the fact that I was going to be by myself for this labor. There was not going to be a support person for me. My mum lives overseas. My whole family lives in Australia and I'm in Austin, Texas. And like, I'm not going to ask people, random friends to come and have and help support me through labor while I have COVID. And for those of you wondering why my husband couldn't go, obviously he had COVID too. So he wasn't allowed in the hospital. I keep falling off this couch. Um, yeah, so he's not allowed in the hospital. And I'm like processing that I'm going to be all by myself. And my friend, Adi, absolute champ, she comes. She's like, I don't care. I've had COVID. I'm just going to wear two masks. And I like, you're not going, you're not having labor by yourself. <laughs> it's like, you're just, this is not happening. But it was a few hours before she confirmed that she would come. I had decided at that point, I'm having an epidural. There is no way I'm going through natural labor with back labor by myself with no support person. It's just, my doula couldn't come either. So there was no one who could do things like counter pressure or help me change positions. I was going to go through labor all by myself. So I was like, I'm going to need an epidural and I'm going to need it right now because of these circumstances. Thank you very much. That was fantastic. Have you checked out our online resource store yet? We have created a bunch of downloadable content like the Period Recovery Game Planner, which is a 30-page PDF download to help you plan and execute your recovery plan. The 7-Day Recovery Commitment Challenge audiobook, which is the audio version of our 7-Day Challenge, which is great if you're on the go and you like to be able to listen versus sit and read these really long emails, which is awesome, but not for everyone, right? And we also have the downloadable and fillable journal pages, which are designed to help you through HA recovery. We're always working on and adding more helpful tools for you into this resource store. So you should check it out and you might even be able to snag one of our limited, I got my period back, let it be known mugs. So head to thehasociety.com forward slash store to check it out and remember that members of the HA Society get 50% off all items in the store. So check it out 
That's thehasociety.com forward slash store. The epidural was basically what got me through. So I labored by myself with the epidural. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad. The way it works is like the medicine does have to flow through your pelvis. So there was a section of my pelvis that, um, was not experiencing the epidural, but it was so much smaller an area that I could handle it. And it ended up being helpful because I could feel when contractions were coming and going. Um, I liked having that sort of awareness and being able to feel something was kind of helpful, but I definitely threw up before I got the epidural. So I was going to need it. So that, yeah, not fun. My friend showed up. That was really nice while we waited for my contractions to get closer together and start to basically transition into active labor. And I did not experience transition. I really wanted to, even though it looks like the worst part of labor because I don't know I was just curious about it, but I guess I just passed, passed that, missed it maybe because of the epidural and we were ready to start pushing. So I had my support person. She was constantly keeping my husband updated through text message. And he was so cute. He like, what, before my friend got there, he was calling the hospital and trying to like check in to get updates because really he just dropped off his in labor wife and heard nothing else. Like he got no updates from me because I was in no state. I'm like, I'm not going to be texting no one. <laughs> and so he was just calling the hospital to get updates on me. So once my friend arrived, he was able to use her and that was really great. And I pushed for three hours. So I pushed on my back, which is also not what I wanted to do, but I was pretty numb and not, I did not want to move. So I just pushed the baby out on my back. It was fine. It took I think probably an hour longer than it would have taken if I didn't have COVID because as I, uh, just before I started to push, a nurse came in to take an x-ray of my lungs and they came back about an hour and a half into pushing to tell me I had pneumonia. So I had developed COVID pneumonia, which I probably could have told you because I wasn't able to breathe. So anytime for the last few days that I took a breath in deeply, I would probably get what felt like 70% of the way there in my lungs and I would cough. So I couldn't fully inflate my lungs, which meant when it was time to push, I was having a hard time. I probably pretty impressively was able to push for eight seconds at a time. They usually aim for like 10, I think. So I was able to push eight seconds, eight seconds, six seconds through each contraction. Um, and you know, a lot of that was adrenaline because I, I really couldn't breathe and I had to wear a mask as well. So pushing when you can only fill your lungs so far and wearing a mask was really tough. So it took me probably an extra hour to push this baby out. And towards the end, uh, some the midwife, she said you would make a really good candidate for vacuum where they like help suck the baby out. I don't know. I'd never really looked into it because I thought I was going to this birth center. I didn't think that that would happen to me. I had started to feel a bit discouraged because I was running out of gas, right? I could barely breathe and the eight second pushes were starting to turn into seven and six seconds. And I was just like, I just wanted this baby out. I did not feel well. And 
she had been crowning for two hours. <laughs> and I know that that's kind of like how long that part takes, right? You just, you're pushing and pushing and pushing for a long time. And then eventually you start to really get some momentum. But I just felt like this baby wasn't coming and I was getting tired. And I had this fear in my mind that if I got tired enough, I wouldn't be able to do it and I'd have to have a cesarean. So they took about 15 minutes to talk to me about the vacuum. I remember none of that because people, any of you listening who have had a baby, people are like trying to talk to you about shit and all you're thinking in your head is shut up and give it to me. I don't care about anything that you're saying. But turns out that having that 15 minute break just to listen to her spiel about the vacuum was exactly what I needed to get a bit of recovery and to actually just push this baby out. So I say yes to the vacuum. I'm like, fuck it, let's go. And they bring in like 10 people. All these people come in. So I guess they're pretty confident that this baby's about to come out. The woman who does the vacuums, vacuum lady, don't know. She came in front row center. I thought she was already doing it and I was ready. I was like, let's go. This next contraction's coming. I see it on the monitor. I feel it in the right side of my pelvis. And by this time, the epidural was kind of wearing off and I hadn't been pressing the button that much that uh, releases more of the epidural juice. I don't know. Uh, because it, I didn't feel like it was doing anything. Like I just, I felt like it was wearing off and the more I pressed the button, not like really not that much was happening. And I was just getting used to the pain by this point. They had really dulled it, which was nice. So I push extra hard because I'm rested and I'm motivated because I think this baby's coming out. But that push, the baby came out halfway, like head sticking out. I went down and I felt it. And they were like, there is no vacuum here. We're not using the vacuum. And I was like, this is me. I'm doing this. I'm pushing this baby out with COVID and pneumonia because I am a bad ass. So I pushed her again. I pushed it again and the baby came out. I can hear her crying downstairs right now. And it's driving me nuts. So I'm going to go see what's up. And then I will come back and finish this. Okay, so I've just brought her here because she is much more calm but her head is also right near the microphone so you're probably going to be able to hear little tiny baby squeeze but we're nearly done with the story so let's just see (laughs) how that goes sorry about that and if you are listening to this episode and not watching then yeah there's a baby here now so we're off okay So I pushed her out all by myself. I thought it was really badass. I'm just going to take a bragging moment here to tell you that the midwives were all extremely impressed that at 41 and a half weeks pregnant with COVID and pneumonia, I pushed this baby out with nothing more than an epidural. So I feel pretty badass about the whole shebang. That's what I wanted to basically share with you guys was it was a really uneventful pregnancy all the way through till the final hour. And I think that she knew and that she held on and tried to not come because the body is an incredible thing. And it knew that about a week prior, I was in less shape to push this baby out than I was in that moment. So I think I was, she held out as long as she possibly could. She waited an extra like week, 10, you know, so that's really awesome. And I was really proud of her and me. She came out completely unaffected 
we had to wait 48 hours before we could go home. So they put me in a pre uh, postpartum room so they could monitor the baby. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, where is my husband in all of this? So he got to FaceTime in when the baby came out, which was awesome. And maybe I'll put a picture of a screenshot of that up on the screen because we do have a picture of that. And he, because we were nine days post symptoms, and at this time the CDC is recommending that no one come to the hospital unless you're a patient until you're 10 days post symptoms. And I went into labor on the ninth day in the morning and I pushed this baby out at 6.02 p.m. So Jake had to wait till midnight and then he was allowed to come in. (laughs) So he basically missed the birth of his baby by a few hours, which is pretty much the story of his life. And then he was able to come in. The next conundrum was that he couldn't stay with us for the next 48 hours because we had a dog at home and we didn't have any friends that we were really comfortable like. In the end, of course, there were a bunch of people... Oh, sorry. There's a bunch of people that we could have asked. And they're all like, I can't believe you didn't ask me in hindsight. But it just felt so shitty to be like, hey, can you go into our COVID house and take our dog? It's probably just me being a people pleaser and I really should have just asked for help. But I didn't have any family. I would have had to ask friends. And we just didn't think that, you know, we felt like we were putting our friends at risk to ask them to go into our house and get our dog when we have COVID. And it might be the Delta strain, but we never really found out. So he had to go home at about eight in the morning the next day because someone had to like let the dog out and feed her. And we would never, we would never usually leave her at home alone. So he had to do that. And he wasn't allowed to come back because you couldn't visit a COVID patient and then leave and come back. You can only... You have to be negative. And he, even though he was 10 days post symptoms, we like, we weren't considered having tested negative. So he couldn't visit me and leave and come back. No one could visit me and leave and come back. Because if you had visited me, you might have COVID. So if you come back, that's a bad thing. Does that, all of that make sense? So he left and then he had to wait till... 6 45 or something p.m the next day to be able to take us home so for me i had essentially been in hospital for three days because i got there at 5 45 a.m the day i had her and i got to leave two days later in the evening they tested her for COVID at 24 hours and again at 48 hours which is part of the reason we had to stay The other part is that because I was so overdue, I had had some kind of uterus infection. So they wanted to keep an eye on that. And because I had pneumonia, they wanted to treat my pneumonia and they wanted to monitor her for 48 hours for COVID, which makes sense. We don't want babies getting sick. So she tested negative both times, which I thought was incredible, but I was a fair way past when I, you know, had tested positive and all that jazz. So I like to hope that I maybe just didn't have contractable COVID anymore. I don't know. Or maybe the body is just incredible and just did not give it to this baby. So she was perfectly healthy, even though I was dying 
Recovery was really hard because they couldn't take the baby from me. They couldn't take her to the nursery because she's a COVID baby. So I had to deal with the baby all by myself, which of course was wonderful, but also really hard because with an epidural, I feel like it was harder for me to recover from the vaginal birth. And part of why I wanted a natural birth was because it's easier to recover from a natural birth. And it it was just extremely painful for me to move. And so if she would, she would cry and we were trying to breastfeed, but I was in agony the whole time um, until they finally got some painkillers that were good for me. And then I would feel pretty good for an hour or so after I took that. And that was a big deal. Postpartum recovery is some serious shit. It's crazy. Like your whole vagina is just looks wild and it's bleeding profusely and it really hurts to move. At least it did for me. And then you're the only carer for this baby and everyone else around you from the, from the labor through to the next 48 hours are wearing hazmat suits around you. So you feel like a leper. And the worst part for me probably was that the way that they function it, it, it's not set up for postpartum care, for mum care. It's really treating what's wrong with you, right? So they came in every hour one hour for the baby to check her vitals and make sure she was all good. And then the next hour they would come in for me to check my vitals, give me antibiotics for my pneumonia and whatever other medications that I might need. So, and then in between that, we ha- you have a phone in the hospital room and it's ringing off the hook constantly. They're asking about, you know, baby things and the discharge instructions, like on the last day, they were calling me constantly because people always say, you just have this baby and then they give it to you and, and they just like let you leave. That's not what happened to me. I got given instructions out the hoo-ha for how to have this baby and take care of her at home, including advice or really good recommendations. The doctor said, please follow my really good recommendations to wear wear a mask at all times at home around the baby. Do not kiss the baby. If you're going to breastfeed, make sure you're wearing the masks. I decided not to because she had to do any of those things. I went against her advice just because it, I couldn't breathe. (laughs) Like my pneumonia hadn't improved at all. I was still coughing really badly. She has, she was testing negative every single time. And I just didn't want to do that for the first two weeks. And my personal, my personal opinion was that her not seeing our faces could have worse effects than the low risk that she was going to get COVID based on how many days past COVID we were at this point. So yeah, and so far so good. So because the nurses had been coming in every two every hour or calling me on the hospital phone or something, I was getting constantly disrupted. I got no sleep. Like I said, they can't take the baby to the nursery. So it was my problem to deal with. And I was having a hard time. I do not do well sleep deprived. And that was, I had had like two hours of sleep in three days. (laughs) It was wild. But when we got discharged, my husband was amazing and he was the guy with the baby and he just woke me up to feed her and let me sleep for like two days. It was amazing. Now she sleeps like a champ. So we're really, really lucky that she sleeps so well. We both have had like anywhere between seven and nine hours every night 
we just wake her up to eat and she eats and she's a really good breastfeeder and all of that. So we're really lucky with that because recovery for me was hard because I couldn't breathe for the first few days postpartum. So thank goodness for that. And like trying to not cough because we had a cough, right? And trying to not cough on her and not also cough and have all of my insides fall out of my vagina. Uh, All of that stuff was really rough. So really fortunate with that, that she latched straight away. You know, a lot of people have a tough time with things like breastfeeding and sleep. So we were really fortunate. So far, so good. I know that these things can change. But yeah, right now she's doing good. So that's basically the story of our birth. And then I had a few questions, just a couple of questions about pregnancy, postpartum with a baby. So here we go. Haley asks how to mentally deal with weight gain any special conditions to watch out for. So dealing with weight gain during pregnancy is a huge, huge thing. You will see when when you're pregnant, if you've never been, that people just start talking to you about weight. You're pregnant and some older lady who had her kids 15 years ago will say, oh, I gained X amount of pounds and this is how long it took me to lose it. And you're like, okay, cool story. Thanks um, for your unsolicited conversation about pregnancy weight gain. And there's also people, if you join like a due date Facebook group or something, people are like, I can't wait to work out. All of this weight gain is really stressful. Or we'll constantly ask, you know, for updates on how much weight everyone else has gained. And it's just, it's just a really big deal in the pregnancy world. So it's really important to go into pregnancy knowing that weight gain is going to be a topic of conversation, potentially with your doctors, with random people that you know, with other pregnant women that you come across. It's all about weight gain. So just know that it's really normal to gain weight, okay? And if you got pregnant very shortly after recovering from HA, there's a strong chance, I believe, that you will gain a fair bit of weight. Now, if you have been weight restored like I had been, I had been at a heavier body weight for quite some time before getting pregnant. That meant, I truly believe, that I was at a starting point, thanks to HA recovery, in my weight that my weight gain was minimal. I was amazed. I couldn't actually believe that I had gained so little weight, Um, but I had been eating in abundance. I was so hungry that first trimester especially that you would think that I would have gained a lot of weight. But I think that a lot of women out there in the world are under eating, even if they don't lose their period, or are sitting at a lower body weight than their body wants them to for pregnancy. So it really depends where you're at in your journey with that. And if you do gain a lot of weight, know that it makes sense that you feel shocked, right? You are seeing your body change rapidly. So it's okay to feel feelings about it. It's okay to reach out for help. I highly recommend that you have a therapist, someone that you trust that you can talk to during this time, because dealing with rapid weight gain, especially when you have a history of fear of weight gain, you're not crazy. You're not broken. This is an essential part of your pregnancy is to get your body weight to where it needs to be. Because fat isn't just some like random, oh, little baby. Fat stores are not just like there to just be fat stores. They hold hormones. They play a really important role in the immune system and it's helping you to build and grow this baby. 
So expect some weight gain if you're underweight. If you're not ready to have a baby yet, know that a big part of the weight restoration that you're going through right now is to help you prepare for baby. And it's great. It's healthy. It's good. It needs to happen. And maybe that should be your mantra. It's healthy. It's good. It needs to happen because it's so important that you let your body do what it needs to do and you do not fight it. I think that's the best advice I can give you as someone who gained her weight before she had her, she got pregnant. So I actually got a ton of questions about the weight gain body image stuff. So that really answers the vast majority of people's concerns actually um, around pregnancy. So it's really important to keep your head down, stay in your own lane and do not let people make comments or don't, don't feed into that conversation. If people want to bring up weight, their weight and weight gain and ask you silly questions like what's your plan for losing the baby weight and stuff, uh, you should totally lead by example and shut it down. Shut it down. This isn't what it's about. Okay. And then the other question that I got was, uh, did you tell people who knew about your HA struggles earlier than the 13 week mark? So like I said, yeah, I said at the beginning of this episode, I think that I told, I was confident and I told people right away because HA does not have any evidence to show that it affects the success of a pregnancy for you. And I don't have a lot of miscarriage or anything in my family. So I was down to share. Additionally, if I did miscarry, I'm the type of person who wants the support of her community. I probably wouldn't be super private about it. So it worked for me to share about our pregnancy at around 10 or 11 weeks. Also, I'm not about like restraining or holding back my happiness to protect myself from disappointment. I allow myself to be happy about something in the moment if I want to be and know that if it doesn't turn out how I wanted it to, it's still okay that I experienced happiness and I don't believe that I'm going to be any less upset because I allowed myself to be happy. Maybe I would be, but not by much. So it's worth it for me to enjoy the moment and see that positive pregnancy test and be excited and happy. I see way too many women hold themselves back and tell themselves, I'm going to wait till I reach X point before I let myself feel happy. You only live once, dude. YOLO. You deserve to enjoy this moment. And if something happens down the road, you're allowed to feel sad too. So if you want to share early, share. But don't do things out of a place of obsessively trying to protect your feelings because it's not going to work. You're feeling what you feel. Trying to suppress it's pretty rough. It's not that easy. So feel what you want to feel, enjoy it, celebrate, and cross that bridge of negativity when it comes, if it comes at all. That's about the advice that I'm, that I've got to give. So thanks for listening, guys. This was really fun and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. 
please subscribe to the podcast and if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women. Hey there, it's me, Danny, and I want to tell you about Temp Drop as a fertility awareness method tracking option. So many of you guys know that we actually recommend the fertility awareness method both as you're going through recovery and 100% after you have gotten some cycles back and you're starting to move forward for the rest of your reproductive years. So TempDrop itself is a wearable fertility monitor and we love it. It's a wearable device, so you put it around your arm and you can use that instead of taking your temperature manually with a thermometer each morning. So I'm personally a big fan of the manual tracking. All of us at the HA Society are, and that's the method that we use, you know, just using a good old thermometer. We use that with our clients because it's the best way to use it as a diagnostic tool, as a practitioner. And it's also the best way to ensure if you're trying to avoid pregnancy that you don't get pregnant. However, manual temping for many reasons is just not always an option. When you're in the middle of recovery, again, we do recommend manual temping. But once you're cycling, the temp drop is actually a really great hack. So it gives you basically everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility status, like where you are in your monthly cycle. So you wear the temp drop sensor while you're sleeping for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups. So I personally love this because with a toddler, my wake-up times are all over the place and the occasional sleep disruptions make using an oral thermometer a lot more difficult. So TempDrop's accompanying charting app enables you to track an array of symptoms alongside your basal body temperature. This includes tracking your cervical mucus if you've been using OPKs. And then it also gives you sleep insights too. So you can combine these fertility signs all in one place and that will help you identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period. And if you're trying to get pregnant, you know, identify whether or not you are pregnant. So whether you're trying to conceive or avoiding pregnancy or you want to chart for health reasons, like HA recovery, making sure your cycle's not slipping back in the HA direction. TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. So track your ovulation in real time with the TempDrop. And we are lucky enough to have a 15% off code. So if you go to their website, they're usually having a sale, but you can stack this code on top of the existing code so just go to tempdrop.thehasociety.com and use the code afha society i think too if you just go to tempdrop.com and and use um, afha society at the checkout that will work too so happy temping and good luck This episode is brought to you by Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules. Did you know that in terms of nutrient density, beef liver actually blows vegetables and fruits out of the water? If you're a client of mine, you have already been instructed to eat beef liver either fresh or in capsule form. I recommend it for 
anyone and everyone who is, of course, dealing with amenorrhea and fertility challenges out there, but I may even recommend it for just everyone in general. Get your husbands on it. Get your partners on it. If you have a history of HA and add on top of that, maybe a history of the pill, maybe you've been pregnant before, you know, through treatments or other like you've just, your body's been through anything, you know, you're absolutely 100% dealing with a nutrient deficiency of some kind. And while it's true that testing is going to be the best way to understand those exact deficiencies, eating nutrient dense real food is going to be one of the most important next steps that you take with or without testing. So I've been using and recommending Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules for years now. And the capsule form makes it so easy to get your liver in every day. And I appreciate the transparency of this product in particular above others. So in case you're wondering, it's completely natural. This is freeze-dried beef liver in capsules. It's organic. It's made from Australian beef and my favorite of their products is the liver with kelp because of the iodine from the kelp which is important for overall thyroid function which is often low in women with underperforming hormones so rather than eat seaweed snacks every day i get to take this beef liver with the kelp for my iodine so if you're recovering or working on a fertility journey right now do not skimp the nutrient rich source of beef liver get 10% off your order with the HA society and support your favorite podcast along the way they ship to most countries so you should be covered just go to grasslandnutrition.net and use HA society just HA society at the checkout for the 10% off that's grasslandnutrition.net with the code HA society Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.